waves of women crashing against the shorelines. Here our voices say, we are ready and able to guide. We have made great strides. With a revolutionary number of women running for office, over 100 women sworn into the 116th Congress. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. That moment of democracy inspiration was 16-year-old poet Naya Ray Francis celebrating the women of the 116th Congress, which has more women than ever before, and is also the most racially diverse of all time. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, August 10th. Some weeks are quieter than others, with the work impacting our democracy happening behind the scenes. This is not one of those weeks, so I have a lot to tell you about, and let's dive in. First, the massive $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure package is poised for a final vote in the Senate today around 11 a.m. after it cleared the last procedural hurdle after months of negotiations. On Sunday, the Senate voted 68-29 to invoke cloture, meaning to end debate and move to a final vote, the latest in a series of votes that's actually seen the number of Republicans voting yes slowly increase as the bill gets closer to passage. Like most major negotiated bills, this can be seen as both a major success and a modest win that failed to live up to its potential. On one hand, it's a once-in-a-generation and much, much overdue needed boost of investment in our physical infrastructure, and it needs to be celebrated as such, and it certainly will be by Democrats and moderate Republicans heading into the election season. But many of the goals that Biden had outlined in his initial infrastructure proposal will not be realized through this bill. Critics point that as a downside of negotiations with Republicans in such a polarized environment, they failed to get some of the key climate and human infrastructure pieces. But Moderates are noting that Biden aimed high so that even when he negotiated down, the infrastructure investments were a major win. But that split take on the infrastructure bill is driving the second big thing this week, the introduction of a $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation package. If passed as outlines by Democrats on their own this time, this would be a transformative package providing funding for health care, some climate change work, education, and child care, and would be funded primarily by increased taxes on wealthy people and corporations. Before the budget resolution can pass, however, it needs a series of what are called rapid-fire votes, and that's expected to stretch through at least midnight on Wednesday if things move as fast as they're hoping. And Speaker Pelosi has said that the House will only vote on the infrastructure bill after the Senate passes this reconciliation package. So she's forcing them to be tied together. Um, it remains to be seen what last-minute adjustments and haggling happens for these two big pieces of legislation this week, but definitely the biggest development in terms of congressional action. Looking forward and looking down to the states, the redistricting fight will enter a new phase later this week. The 2020 census numbers are now going to be released on Thursday, and four days earlier than previously promised, following months of delay due to the coronavirus pandemic and decisions by the Trump administration. The census had actually a plan to release the data as late as September 30th, but they moved it forward to August amid litigation with Ohio and Alabama. Once these numbers are released on Thursday, expect some very fast map releases as some legislatures jam through advantageous maps while independent redistricting processes will begin a more measured process, and states with a politically driven but divided system will begin a series of torturous negotiations, 
all of which will be rolling out against the backdrop of many, many lawsuits, some on fundamental issues and some on technicalities, but together these will all define the structural advantages and disadvantages of Republicans and Democrats running for congressional and state elections for the next decade. Critically important issue that we often don't give enough attention, but it really kicks off now this week with the final data at the block level, which should have been released in the spring, if not for the Trump administration. Another big thing is that this redistricting fight itself would be very different if Democrats had already passed the For the People Act, because the For the People Act prohibits partisan gerrymandering, drawing election maps based on political advantage. However, Manchin and Cinema, in particular have yet to come around to a point where they'll amend the filibuster to allow for passage of this act. So Democrats are going to be headed into the August recess at the end of the week, even as negotiations continue on the For the People Act. And the word is that if they can come up with the votes, they'll come back early to pass this piece of legislation. But that's really an open question. And frankly, the clock is ticking. The farther the redistricting process goes, the stronger the argument Republicans will have to leave whatever partisan maps they draw in place for at least the 2022 election, which will likely cost Democrats control of the United States House of Representatives. And while there's a bit more time for the voting protections that are included in the For the People Act, those too need to be passed soon to give state secretaries of state time to implement the right processes. The need for those protections was highlighted again this week as the Wisconsin legislature sent a slew of election bills to Governor Tony Evers on Friday. The governor's promised to veto them all and has until this Friday to do so, but the fight continues in Wisconsin and apparently state lawmakers are also moving towards an Arizona-style audit of the 2020 election as well. Elsewhere in the country, on Saturday, the second special legislative session began in Texas and the Senate there swiftly reintroduced an omnibus anti-voter legislation package, restricting mail ballots, restricting ways for people with disabilities to vote, increasing the authority of partisan poll workers, and threatening election administrators with criminal penalties for violating election laws. However, everyone is waiting to see whether the Texas State House can even establish quorum during its second special session. And that's both due to Texas Democrats still being out of state, and over 10 Republicans were out on Saturday due to COVID and will need to quarantine for two weeks. So even if some Democrats return, they may be unable to get quorum a second time. And lastly, in New Hampshire, Governor Sununu signed a bill that preemptively limits the impact of the For the People Act or any other federal pro-voter legislation by setting up separate systems for federal and state elections. Now, many legal scholars expect that that will be overturned by the courts, but it's another dangerous precedent for efforts to subvert and avoid fair election regulations. Finally, some things I'm looking out on the horizon that have been bubbling up this week. Ballots will begin being mailed out on Monday for the recall vote of Gavin Newsom, which will happen on September 14th. Democrats had long ignored this as a fringe effort from conservatives, but Republicans are increasingly fired up around the recall, and recent polls are showing Newsom barely eking out a win or losing the recall. And if he loses, Whichever candidate out of the 46 candidates that are running for replacement automatically becomes governor, even if they only get 15 or 20%. You don't need a majority, just the most votes of anyone on that list. And given the motivation of Republicans for the recall, if Newsom loses, it's likely that you're going to see a conservative Republican become governor of California, 
which would dramatically change the dynamics of the state until a new governor is elected in November 2022. Also tied to that budget reconciliation, while it's transformative and it appears to be moving towards passage this week in the Senate, it notably did not include a raise in the debt limit, which I talked about last week. The debt limit, the ceiling caps how much the federal government may borrow to finance its operations, and it can only be raised via legislation, and it's now we've got a showdown coming. Raising the limit on its own, rather than through budget reconciliation, means that you need 10 Republicans to join all the Democrats to overcome a filibuster, and so far Republicans are united against doing so. So the Treasury is taking steps to meet their obligations until sometime in mid-October, but that means a major confrontation on the debt ceiling is now a given for the fall. And finally, and perhaps a depressing note to end on, yesterday the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released a much-anticipated report which painted a very grim picture for the future. They predict that global temperatures will likely exceed the 1.5 degree Celsius benchmark set by the Paris Agreement within the next 20 years. And also they strengthened the claims and evidence linking human-made greenhouse gases to those rising temperatures. They note that extreme weather events, floods, droughts, wildfires are more likely due to human influence and that the recent changes and spread of these extreme events are widespread, rapid, and intensifying, unprecedented in the world for thousands of years. So there are crucial intergovernmental, international negotiations coming up in Scotland in November. And the hope is that this report will increase pressure for bolder climate moves by the United States in the reconciliation package that's moving now and in global negotiations. But it paints a grim picture even if we act boldly now because of the so long delayed action and failure to do anything in the past. So thanks for joining me for this quick review of key issues in democracy. It's been a packed week and a mixed bag of celebrations and concern. Landmark investments, stalled action. We'll see what next week has to bring. But until then, I'm Jason Franklin. It's Tuesday, August 20th. And thanks for joining 10 Minutes on Democracy.